Welcome to the podcast, Facing the Facts, a path to gaining control, accessing power, and ultimately creating a life of abundance. I'm your guide, Tony Leprino, here with a new episode, how to overcome adversity, break through limiting beliefs, and build a business that serves your life. This episode is for every entrepreneur who wants to reach the next level of success in life and business. And I'm joined today with a very special guest, Nick Prefontaine. And before I bring Nick onto the show, I want to share with you a little bit about what Nick does, as well as a little bit about uh, Nick's backstory. And Nick is part of a smart real estate coach family located in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, He recently co-authored the best-selling book, The New Rules of Real Estate Investing, working alongside his father, Chris, his brother-in-law, Zach, his sister, Kayla, and a great support team. And Nick grew up in real estate industry and got started at a really early age. And most notably, he was knocking on uh, pre-foreclosed doors at age 16, doing 50 doors a day. This experience helped shape Nick's real estate career. Now Nick specializes in working with lease purchasers to get them in the home and on a path to ownership. Regardless of buyer's uh, credit situation, he looks for the complete financial picture and comes up with a plan to get them in their home. And really one of the biggest things I want to dig into with Nick is back in 2003, he was in a snowboarding accident that left him in a coma for over three weeks. The doctor told his parents that he probably wouldn't walk talk or eat again on his own. Less than three months later, he was running out of the Franciscan Children's Hospital. Now, in addition to his work in real estate, Nick is a certified infinite possible trainer and speaks to groups that benefit from his message, overcoming adversity. Man, we're going to dig into this and your story sounds absolutely wonderful. And I can't wait to hear more and tell the listeners about how you overcame all that. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Tony. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Absolutely. Let's dive right into this. Okay. Back in 2003, sounds like that was a big turning point in your life with a snowboarding accident. Let's start with that, if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. I'd like to um, I'd like to bring you and the listener and your listeners uh, right to that day. Um, it was a Wednesday, and we on Wednesdays during the winter we had ski club. So. Whiskey Club, we got to leave a little bit early, a little before the end of the school day to head to the Wachusa Mountain. On the way to the mountain, we always brought our stuff, my friends and I, we brought our stuff on the bus so we could get ready and not miss a precious moment once we got to the mountain. We were already ready. Now, when I was getting ready on the bus, I realized that I had forgot one thing that I usually bring to Ski Club. Not every time. I'm not going to pretend like I was a saint, but I usually was able to bring my helmet. That that day, that particular day, I forgot it. I just figured I'd be be careful, be safe. Nothing ever, you know, nothing was going to happen. Nothing ever did happen. So we got to the mountain and because we already headed straight for the top. And on the way to the top, we noticed that it was very icy. Uh, people were wiping out everywhere. But my friends and I, you know, it wasn't wasn't our first time on on a snowboard. We weren't beginners, right? So I headed straight for the biggest jump uh, with all my speed. And going up, just because everyone said, "Oh, you you can't hit that," you know, you'd be crazy to hit that. So of course, I I took that like it took everything mm-hmm. at that age and. Really, like I, I still do when people slight me, is I take it as a challenge. So I took it as a challenge and I went for the jump. Going up the jump, it was a big tabletop. Going up the jump, I caught the edge of my stoneboard, which threw me off balance. That 
that caused me to be off kilter. And I was too close to the top of the jump to stop. So I had to go off it. So in the air, if you can imagine, I basically tumbled and landed right on my head. I was later told that I wasn't wearing a helmet and I was in pretty, pretty rough shape. I had to go to the ICU at a UMass Med Center in Worcester. They tried to life flight me, but they couldn't because it was too windy. Mm. So then after being at UMass for three weeks, I was in a coma uh, right away. And the doctors told my parents that I probably wouldn't walk, talk, or eat on my own. Wow. And after, th- after three weeks, I, they slowly started taking me off the, the drugs and the medication to take me out of the coma. And they put me on that, Tony, because they, they figured that if I woke up, because the impact was so hard on my head, my head was like swelled out to here. If I woke up, I would start freaking out. And then the swelling in my brain would, would increase and I would die. Wow. So they had to sedate me. Based on the impact alone, I would have been out for seven to 10 days at a minimum. So they had, they had to uh, you know, uh, sedate me a little bit. I really don't, because of those drugs, I really don't remember a month. Yeah, I was going to say, do you remember any of this? I mean, do you have any recollection of anything after, after you got off the bus, you're heading up the mountain and you're going down after you hit that jump? I mean, do you remember any of this? Well, I really, I really pieced together. Um, I've pieced together. I remember getting to the mountain and going up on the chairlift and everything. But really after that, I think I, think I really just pieced it together based on what everyone has told me. Right. However, I don't. I don't consciously remember the ICU at UMass. Mm-hmm. I went back there the following year for a groundbreaking ceremony. Pretty soon after I ran out of Franciscan Children's Hospital, I went there for a groundbreaking ceremony, and I walked through the ICU. I would. I would really. It was amazing because I would look everyone like the layout of the. The floor, just everything about it looks so familiar, but I couldn't I couldn't put Figure my finger out. on it. Yeah. And I think unconsciously, I had I've seen videos where I have my eyes open there, but I don't remember it consciously. I, I definitely don't remember it consciously. Even even some of the nurses' faces. Right. I'm like, I'm like, God, you look you look so familiar, but I couldn't place it. Unbelievable. So after after being stabilized. After coming out of the coma, um, it was about a month after I got transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. And Franciscan's was where I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. And it was it was long, definitely long days, especially at the beginning, because I would have double sessions of physical, occupational, and speech therapy. So a typical day for me, I would get up in the morning and I'll just I'll just take you right through when I was in when I was still in my wheelchair. I would get up in the morning and the physical therapist and the occupational therapist would it's not a glamorous thing, but they'd help me shower. Right. So oh, yeah. I was in a wheelchair, so I needed I needed help with that. And it was mm-hmm. definitely a humbling experience. Um, 
having to learn how to take yeah, care of yourself sure. and shower and you're young, and everything. man. I mean, you're, you're a kid. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah. you're just a kid when all yeah. this stuff happens. And, you know, like you said, and you go from the most exciting day of the week, Wednesday afternoons, you got a ski club, go do your thing with your buddies. And next thing you know, you're in, you're in a coma for three weeks and your life is completely flipped upside down. So how long were you, you said three weeks inside in a coma, right? Yeah. You come out of a coma. And is that when they transferred you to, to Boston? Or were yeah, you it, Boston was, it was about a month. It was about a month after. I went from Worcester, UMass uh, Memorial is in yep. Worcester. And then once I was stabilized after I came out of the coma, I was transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital. And then that was there. After I got up and ate and got ready, I would have physical therapy, occupational therapy and speech therapy. That would be my morning. That would be a full, that'd be a full morning. Then I would go back to my room, have lunch, and then do it all over again. Holy Physical, God. occupational, and speech therapy. And then after at night, and I learned this, um, I wouldn't have highlighted this unless I heard my dad say it on a on a video that I that I saw, but just because I don't think anything of it. But when I was when I was there, I shared with all the therapists my goal that I wanted to run out of the hospital. So my physical therapist, I told her, like, what can I be doing extra that's going to get me that's going to get me there? She gave me a few exercises that I could be doing with weights. So I'd be doing that. I wouldn't even think to mention that, Tony, but um, just to me, it's normal. When I want to get somewhere, I I always proactively look for ways that I can do it faster. Right. So I asked her and I was doing weights after those double sessions of physical occupational and speech at night. So it was it, it was just long, long days, definitely. I'm sure. Especially at the beginning. Absolutely. And it's... You know, that stuff, I, I can't even fathom it. Because, and I can't put myself in your shoes because I've never been there. Absolutely never been there. Uh, and to be able to to say, come out of a coma and you're in this, and you're told you're never going to talk, you're never going to walk, you're never going to eat by yourself, all these types of things. And just a young kid, then you go into to doing PT and OT and speech therapy twice a day. I mean, it's had to have been exhausting because it's, it's that's not easy. That wasn't, that seems like it would be something that would be, I don't know, maybe easy, just you're doing a little bit of physical work, a little exercise, but in your condition, it must have been exhausting. Well, I was just, I was just going to mention that because I haven't touched on it, but uh, when I got my accident, I was 160, 160 about 160 pounds. Um, after being in the coma for um, three weeks, I, I was being fed through a tube. So I think I went down to, I think my low was um, 137. Oh. So yeah, that, that sounds accurate. So I didn't have any muscle. Yeah. I, I lost all, all that atrophy, muscle. Right? You lose yeah, all your exactly. muscle, you lose everything. Yep. And then not being able to move, I mean, you lose all of it. So you had to rebuild from basically nothing. You, I mean, you'd start over again. Yeah, and that's, you know what, that's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what whenever people ask me how it was like, like just big picture, how, like, how, how was it? It was just like, I was basically a 14 year old baby. I had to learn everything all over right. again. And that includes eating, feeding myself, swallowing everything. 
the things we take wow. for granted. Yeah. On an everyday basis, basically. Yeah. Wow. So then I'll just, uh, for time's sake, <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit. And then, um, so less than three months later, I ran out of uh, Franciscan Children's Hospital. By this time, it was probably, um, I don't know why this date sticks out in my head, about April, April 21st or 24th, either one of those. And then I ran out of the hospital. And then when I got back home, I was just it. It wasn't like I was done. I right. I wanted to be, um, sure, but I but it wasn't like I was done. I I had to have double, not double sessions, but I had to have um, sessions every day of physical, occupational, and speech therapy for six months. Now it wasn't for it wasn't all three of those things for six months. It slowly like one went away, another one went away, but the whole picture was six months. So. I would go in and I was tutored in school because my school said to me, well, Nick, because of what you went through, don't take any shame in, uh, you know, getting caught up because if you have to do it again, if you have to do the repeat eighth grade, like that's fine. Don't worry, just rest, recover. But I just couldn't do that. So I asked them, what do I need to do to graduate on time? Uh, with my class, they set me up in those final months, um, whatever, the end of April to early June, whenever the kids are in school, they set me up with a private tutor. So I would go in, I'd be around the kids and everything. I would go and have basically three hours with a private tutor from nine to 12. Then I would have lunch with my friends and then it wasn't just like I went home and laid on the couch. Then that's after that, I, I had to go to my therapies, physical, right. occupational, and speech therapy. So um, I walked with my class at the eighth grade graduation. Cool. And, but that, you know, I, I wish that was it, but that, <laughs> that wasn't it. I had to get, I had to do that all summer. I had to get tutored all summer. So instead of going to the school to get tutored, the tutor would come to my house. Uh, every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And then I would, you know, do the same thing, go to therapy in the afternoon. It was just, I didn't have that interaction with my friends. Right, right. So here's what's really intriguing to me that, that I want to know more about. You didn't quit. I mean, how many times in a day did it go through your mind that you just said, I don't want to do this anymore? How many times did you quit? I don't think... I don't think my family would allow me to do that just just because of the reason the reason that I got the reason that I got through it and got to where I am today is from the support staff around me or yep. partly from the support staff around me. Um, my dad at the time was doing doing some motivational speaking, doing public speaking and everything and um, so he had he had affirmations around the hospital room before I could even walk. So it wasn't like I could get up nice. and take them down. Right. Um, I had to every day, every wall I looked at was a positive affirmation. Like um, each step I take, I'm getting stronger and stronger. Uh, every day I'm getting closer and closer to my goals. Like everywhere I would look, like one wall, I couldn't get away from it. Right. I, I jokingly say, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a choice. but So that was instilled in me. Um, 
early on in my recovery and throughout my recovery. But like I said, as soon as I could, as soon as I, because at first I couldn't talk. Right. Uh, just because, like I said, I, I lost all the muscles and everything. So as soon as I could communicate somehow, it started out um, just with the eyes, communicating with the eyes, and then came mouthing words, then came whisper, and then I slowly got my voice back. But as soon as I could communicate, I knew I wanted to run out of the hospital. Yeah. And, yep. and you saw important- that, that. So you kept, I mean, that must have been to have the, have number one is have the support team. That was huge. Right, your family supported you. Your, your your parents, your father had the positive affirmations everywhere, so they wouldn't allow you to go down to that that dark place, right? Mm-hmm. And if you did, they got you right out of it as fast as you possibly could. But it seems like, like you said, you set the goal to your to your physical therapist to say, "I'm running out of this place," and you you probably saw it in your in your mind's eyes so many times and pictured yourself running out of that that place, and you mm-hmm. continue to do the small things. Every single day, and those are those are little steps. Those are little things that you can take with you. And as we start to transition uh, from where you came from to where you are today, I mean, I know in my own in my own world, one of the hardest things to do is is to continue to make progress and continue to take those small steps, knowing that well, there's Tony, a, a before, bigger thing before, out there. Yeah, before I transition to that, I just want to tell your listeners that it wasn't it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, you know. No. Um, Everyone, everyone has doubts and everyone has like moments, moments of weakness where they think even with all that positivity, positivity around me, everyone has moments of weakness where they think like, geez, like this is an uphill battle. I don't know if I can get through this. Mm -hmm. I remember one day um, I was in, it was lunchtime and it was in between the therapies. I, I was still in a wheelchair and I just, up until then, I had my head down. I was just doing everything they told me to do. I was just working, working, working. And I, I just kind of looked at, I, I like almost, almost like I looked at my whole situation. I took a minute and I was like, my mom who was with me, I always had someone with me all the time. So about the support, the support team around me. So my mom who was with me during the days, I said, where I like looked myself, my legs. And I'm like, am I ever like, am I ever going to be able to walk again? And she, to her credit, she didn't even hesitate. She right away. Yeah. That's, that's what we're doing. Like, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, of course you are. Like, yeah. that's why we're doing everything we're doing. So you can get back to being with your friends and being in school and everything like that. So I think it was her strength gave me strength. Um, because I think that's the one moment I can point to to say, yeah, I did I did have that little bit of doubt and that little bit of weakness, but it's important to surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up, I think. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because that's, it doesn't matter what type of situation you are and whether it's tragic or not tragic, we all have those moments of doubt. We all do. And I would say one of the biggest things, especially, you know, if only from my own experience that I can speak on is that admitting those and becoming aware of it and then becoming aware of what's happening and why you're feeling that way. The reason why we're here is facing the facts that this is where I am. You know, this is where I am. Yeah. It's not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I know there's more and here's how I get there and I'm going to get there, you know, so yep. having that support staff. So tell me about your so you come out of that. Now tell me about that was that was middle school, right? So eighth grade. So you go into high school. That was school. eighth grade, yep. 
high school and how did you evolve? You obviously continued to to build yourself and get stronger. Uh, mm-hmm. How was your high school career? Uh, my high school, I went out when I was a freshman, I went to Shrewsbury. I had planned to go to a private all boys Catholic school, but it was the curriculum was a little harder um, at that school. And um, my parents weren't really sure if I was going to be ready for that. And just with just being in my accident. So they wanted me to go to the public school. And part of the reason for my freshman year to go to that public school was to get my um, IEP set up, which you can't have if you just go right to St. John's, right to that private uh, Catholic school. So I had to get the IEP set up, the uh, individual education plan. So once I had that set up, that kind of gave me a little bit of... um, a little bit of help with um, having more time to complete my work and everything like that. Then I transferred to St. John's my sophomore year. And then it was towards the end of my sophomore year, I got my license. And I started getting interested in real estate that even though I grew up around it, I was always around it. My parents doing um, raised the roof projects on ranches they would buy. I would always help out there with the contractors and help out with cleanup and everything like that. But I never become interested in it until I read a book, uh, Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kawasaki. Yes. Yes. And, uh, that book really got me, my wheels turning. And um, then after that, I was like, at the when I got my license at the end of my sophomore year, I asked my dad, well, what? So like, what can I do to get started? And one of the things that they were doing at that time, or they were just trying to toy with is um, doing pre-foreclosure doors, going and knocking on the the door of someone that had received the NOD, the notice of default from the bank, and seeing if we could be a solution to them, seeing if we could buy their home and help them out of their unfortunate situation. So this was, I don't even, I don't even know if it's legal now, but um, as far as the list, I'm sorry. Gotcha. I don't. I don't mean what we were doing. Right. But right, I, used, right. I used to. I used to get a list, and the list would tell me who received the notice of default from the bank. Yeah, I have no idea. So then I would have that list, and I would go and knock on their door. Now, picture it. I'm a 16 year old kid, so I'm like, what's going to be the most efficient way to get the most amount of doors done? Hmm. Okay, I'll go to the areas where they're closest together. Mm-hmm. This was 05. This was 2005, 2006. So I didn't really realize that those areas were probably the not so great areas of cities that you didn't necessarily want to buy property in. Yeah. What area were you in? Uh, the Northeast. What states? Massachusetts. Gotcha. Yeah. Mass, Mass and Rhode Island. I see. Yeah. Uh, primarily. Yeah. Primarily Massachusetts, but uh, Rhode Island as well. So anyway, I didn't I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, I'm going to go to the area where there are the most notice of defaults. So I did that and I would do 50 and sometimes upwards of 70. I think my high was 72 um, doors in a day. And I would just go and knock on the door. And I had a script, of course. But um, when I first started out, I, I just wasn't seeing a lot of success. And then my dad flew my cousin and I out to California to shadow for a couple of days the number one guy in the country who was having success doing this. 
Now, once I saw his approach and how much it differed from mine, I immediately changed what I was doing. And then when I got back to Massachusetts, I started seeing results. We had a few properties that we bought in that city during that time from me door knocking. Cool. We had it a few years, just a few years ago. Um, yeah. Really, it's, it's amazing. So then from there, that was when I was 16, 17, and even a little bit into when I was 18, my senior year. And then after I graduated high school, I started studying to get my real estate license, got my real estate license. I was really an active, uh, successful realtor for probably about like full-time six years. Then my dad asked me if I wanted to start helping him with the marketing, his properties. And I was... I, the funny thing is, I was hesitant, Tony, to even to even help him out. I was like, no, no, no. I got my own thing that yeah. I'm doing. I'm all set. Yeah. You know? But then he finally wrote me. He finally got me to do it. And I'm glad I'm glad he did. Then I helped him with the marketing. And then that turned into the buyers and um, basically into what I'm doing today, which is helping, helping all the buyers through the process, but also all of our associates. Um, once they get a property all over the country, once they get a property to help them market it and also what to say, what process you got to bring a buyer through from property viewing to buyer meeting to closing with the attorney. And that's where they get paid. So I kind of drill down into what that's going to look like and laid that all out. And um, that's really what I specialize in now, helping our associates with. Awesome. So let's back up a little bit because you mentioned uh, you mentioned you got you've been around real estate for your whole life. You worked in it at a really young age. You, your family was around it, um, and then you read Cashflow Quadrant. Yeah. And as somebody who is an entrepreneur, is somebody who, regardless if you're in, into real estate, that is something you that's an absolute must read uh, for any type of business owner. So what inside of that book said to you, this is what I want to do? This is it. I just talked about the importance of real estate and how it's potentially can be a different type of income other than just like a nine to five employee mindset income. And that, uh, that kind of got my wheels turning uh, that, I could, that I could leverage myself with doing that and also that I better get started and kind of get serious about this, the, you know, this whole business about, um, you know, making, making a name for myself, making, making a way in the world. And I don't know, just from an early age, I, I just wanted to work. I, I knew, I knew when I was 15 or 16 that I didn't want to go to college. And that's when I, I don't know, it's when I started doing doors. I went to my dad and said, what, what can I do that's going to, you know, help you guys? And what can I do that's going to help me learn, learn this business a little bit more? And it was right at that time that they were starting to do the pre-foreclosure doors. Gotcha. So I was doing that hand in hand with um, my cousin, Mike, mm -hmm. who's a little bit older than me. He's like six or seven years older than me. And when I was younger, that was like, that was like, might as well have been 20 years. Right. But now as we get older, it's like I I talk to him like, you know, like any of my friends, you know, it just age doesn't matter anymore, you know. That's awesome. And, you know, as you broke into the business and as you started to make your own and build your own name and, and build your systems and help your team out, 
you said you you knew the system and you knew what to say from bringing a investor from point A to point B and closing the sale. What are some of the limiting beliefs that you find inside of real estate as an investor? What are some of the common things that you see as limiting beliefs and how do they break through those? Uh, the common one is it won't work in my market or my market's different. People in my market don't do that or won't pay that much for a house or I'm different and that's why it won't work for me. Gotcha. So who's your target client that comes to you mostly? Are they somebody who is buying multi-units or these single family homes or you know, what type of investor are you primarily dealing with? With Smart Real Estate Coach, we're working with people. A lot of the people that we work with are people that are looking to escape their, their nine to five and become a full-time real estate investor. And we've really helped a lot of a lot of people transition from their corporate or nine to five job um, to being a full-time real estate investor. And that's something we do when we work um, hand in hand with them at the beginning uh, right. to go through this whole process. And one of the one of the things we pride ourselves on, Tony, is that we're both still working in the trenches, like we're still doing deals. There are a lot of coaches and mentors out there who did a deal 20 years ago and they're still talking about it to this day. Right. Um, so we're doing, we're doing deals still. Uh, we're still working with buyers. We're still working with sellers. But in addition to that, where it doesn't just stop there, when an associate of ours gets a deal or you know, wants to go about getting a deal, buying a property, and then turning around and selling it to a rent-to-home buyer. They have us in their corner, basically holding their hand, helping them each step of the way and getting in the trenches with them. So my brother-in-law, Zach, and my dad, they speak to the sellers and they they specialize in buying the homes, all of our homes. And both myself and all of our certified coaches work with... Um, the associate, once they have the property under contract and they need to find some buyers, they need to market the home properly and find the right buyer. So let's say you have that, that nine to fiver, okay? You have that nine to fiver who just had enough and they're like, I need to start replacing my income. I need some form of passive income that starts to come in my way that I don't have to trade my time for. And they come to you. They've never bought in a piece of property. They, they have no idea they just know that they, that is a way that they want to start to generate income. They have some form of not necessarily expertise, but they have a desire for real estate or they just know that it's a good place to be inside of their business or whatever they want to create, whatever the situation might be. They come to you. Why is it important for them to have a coach and not to go out and try to do this on their own? Uh, well, it's important. It's actually, I want to touch on a few things you mentioned, Tony. The we have some of some of our more successful or most successful associates that we have are people that don't necessarily come from a real estate background. They have no background at all in real estate. Um, one that comes to mind is Mike. He was in banking. Um, that was his. That was his. Um, his background, banking, and then he was um, worked for a um, produce company like filling orders and it was a very seasonal job and it was so it's it's really amazing they they come all over the 
all over the place, all over the map. It's not just one particular. It's not like investors that are doing deals and now they got to find a different way to do it. We we work with everyone. Gotcha. And why is it so? You know, why is it important? And I guess what I'm getting at is that I know from my own my own experience is that real estate is something that I know from a business perspective and from reading cash flow quadrants and understanding being on the right side of the quadrant is, is a huge advantage from tax standpoint, from building wealth, all those types of things. But going it alone is tough and it can be scary. What are the biggest things and the biggest fears that you see for real estate investors who come to you and say, man, talk me off the ledge on this? That's a great question. A lot of a lot of the people that we're working with are they have got the deal to a certain point and then they're basically they're stuck. They're they're throwing their hands up that oh well, you know, this 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 must not work. You know, I'm gonna go do something else. But with us, with us in their corner, we're able to those areas where they may get stuck and may say that I just I don't know what to do here. We're able to kind of get in get in the trenches with them and make sure that closes or get that get that to a complete deal and just move it along. I think that's the number one thing that I see um, with having the benefit of having a coach in the trenches with you and doing these deals with you is we're not just spewing off advice where we're actually doing the deals with you, both with live buyers and sellers for ourselves, our own personal buying and selling entities, and then also with the associates. So we're by doing that, that allows us to be on the cutting edge. So Tony, anytime, anytime a system or a new law or a form changes or something in our process is tweaked, we're bringing that to the associates. And I think that's really important for someone looking to stay on the edge. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure because I'm sure there's so many moving parts to, to real estate and so many parts on even on the tax side and all the things that you can and can't do to make sure really that it's... it's follow, really, it's follow-up. It, it's so much follow-up because with everyone, that yeah, goes that. for... That goes that goes for everyone who that's the number one thing that I see working with people is that they're just they don't follow up enough so things don't get done mm-hmm. because you think or they think anyone anyone can do this they think that oh well I asked X Y Z person to do this and because I asked them I think they're going to do that right no it's not always that, the case that's not how it works you gotta you gotta follow up after right. have them follow up with you after they do it and get confirmation that it goes through. Right. So that happens with everything. And I'm sure that's a huge peace of mind to have have a client who's who's trying to build this and wants to get into real estate investing, regardless of where they're at in in their life inside of it, whether it's the first property they ever bought or it's the hundredth property they ever bought, having you in, in their back corner to make sure everything is taken care of and everything runs smoothly, I'm sure that's huge peace of mind for the investor. Mm-hmm. So tell me, I mean, there's one thing that uh, you mentioned, you talk about buying and selling on terms. Now, for somebody who's not up to, up to speed on the real estate lingo, what does that mean? Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was actually thinking I was going to say something uh, if you didn't ask me this. Um, buying and selling on terms. So 
All that means is you're buying it non-conventionally. So you're not you're not going to a bank, you're not signing personally for a loan, or you're not you're not getting a hard money loan. Um, putting putting your name or your risk or anything like that. What you're doing is buying the home on a few different ways, either a lease purchase, which means it's basically a delayed cash sale to the seller, or we're buying it subject to, if there's existing debt and underlying mortgage on the property, subject to their existing loan, or very often if they don't have a, they don't know anything on the property, we're buying it with owner financing. Those are just some of the ways that we buy the property. But regardless of how we buy the property, we're going to be selling it on a rent-to-own uh, to a rent-to-home buyer. And that's that w- that puts us in the ultimate driver's seat. Um, because As the if, company. As the yeah, company. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Because if we were selling all of our homes on owner financing... The minute someone the minute someone wasn't paying, then we would, you know, we would have to go through the, the big process, depending on what state you're in, of taking gotcha. them to court and everything like that. Where if it's just a lease purchase or rent to own, you can in most cases just go through a normal eviction. They're gotcha. two separate agreements. But if you're if your listeners are interested in learning more about buying and selling on terms like a, like I've been speaking about. They can go to our website, which is smartrealestatecoach.com. And again, that's smartrealestatecoach.com. And I'm sure, Tony, you'll you'll probably be putting it in the show notes. Yeah. But when they're there, they can get registered for the On Your Terms webinar. That's actually loaded with a bunch of free information. I think it's it's 60 minutes long or maybe even a little longer. That goes over exactly how we're able to buy and sell property without using um, our cash or credit, and to see if it'll be a fit for them. And if it is, by the if it is a good fit for them, the they're able to take the next step at the end of that webinar. Awesome, awesome. I mean, so a couple of places they can find out more information, like you said, on your website, and then there's a webinar that's loaded in there. Uh, but there's you also have a best-selling book. Tell me a little bit about that book. Yeah. So the new rules of real estate investing is both um, my dad and my brother-in-law, Zach, and I, we basically took 24 experts in real estate, totally all doing what we do. Because, I mean, of course, I think that buying and selling on terms and doing it like we do, it is the best thing in the world. But the reality is no one, not everyone's going to think that. So what we did is bring together 24 of the industry experts in real estate and put them all together in one book. And then after, after they talk a little bit, those particular people talk about what they do. We give our thoughts and our comments at, at the end of every chapter. So you get that, that packed uh, throughout the book. And I actually have a way, if it's okay, Tony, yeah, I have a, sure. I have a way that your listeners can get it for free. Awesome. How do we do it? That's uh, they can go to new rules for And again, that's new rules for 
And if they want to put in all their inform, if they put in all their information or when they put in all their information, we'll send out a free copy of the new rules of real estate. Awesome. Um, and when I say free, it's not just okay. The book's free, and you got to pay for the shipping. We're paying. We're covering everything, so it's one hundred percent free. Yeah, I know, and I speak for it. I'm waiting for mine to show up too, so I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I mean. By the time uh, we're doing this, we're doing the show and it airs. Uh, maybe I'll have it show up. I know things are a little bit delayed with what's going on in the world today, but uh, I'm pretty excited to read it. And it's it's been awesome to talk to you, man. I mean, I know. Wow, I mean, there's so many things to unpack inside of this thing from where you came from and where you started with your injury and, and with the accident and taking small steps every single day. And these are just not not places that most humans are ever going to experience in their life going from being in a coma for three weeks as an eighth grader and then working your way out of it, PT, OT, speech therapy, going from never being told that you're never going to walk, never going to speak, you're never going to eat again, to graduating high school, running out of a hospital, to 16 years old, knocking on doors and starting your real estate career, uh, just hammering on doors and just hustling like crazy and making it all work for you. And then jump into a real estate business, writing a book and just absolutely killing it. It's a huge inspiration, man. And it's been really great to talk to you. And before we wrap this thing up, what are three things? And it doesn't have to be tied to real estate. It can be tied to just being just being a human and just going through the challenges of life and moving forward. What are three things that our listeners can do today to progress and move themselves forward? That's a great question. I would say, obviously, I wasn't prepared. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't give me this ahead of time. So this is almost more authentic. It's good. I would say, with all the work now, I've been, I've been meditating for over ten years now. So I would say the number one thing is just be present, be in the moment, do the best that you can with what you're given every day. Just be in the moment. Just be here every day. Second thing I could say is every day, regardless of how small or how large, get better. Just do something that's going to make yourself better every single day. For me, what that equates to, Tony, is every morning I have I have a morning routine where I meditate or I exercise, I run or something like that. But then after that, I am usually spending, I don't know, a half an hour to 50 minutes or an hour uh, reading something um, and also journaling. Yes. So I just... The even though even though it's it might not be huge every single day, but I'm learning every single day. I'm learning at least something small to get better. Um, I'm looking at my goals every day to get better, to improve. So those are two things. Man, I think you I think you nailed it. I think you're you start the day with a morning routine, you meditate, you exercise, you journal, you read. Those are four things. So you 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 went over and above, and I'll tell you what; those are not small things. Well, I don't reason- I don't do I don't do all those every single day. I do okay. probably probably two to three times a week. I'll meditate, um, which I got up to like forty five to sixty minutes now, cool. um, 
And then two to three times a week, I'll either run or I'll do a circuit workout. Yeah. And then um, two to three times a week, I will. Um, there's a third thing, but anyway, I forgot. I'm just here in the moment with you. I, I yeah. just totally blanked out. Totally no forgot problem. what it is. <laughs> no problem at all. And, you know, I asked you that question because I had, I kind of had a hunch that you're somebody who, who is very structured and goes and, and follows a routine. And, you know, we haven't talked prior to this. And I can tell you why. No. I, as, as a coach and as somebody who is going through and, and goes through routines and is very structured, those types of things that you just talked about are gold for the listeners. And from somebody who is, like you said, you, you've gone through some tough times and to be able to sit and be present, regardless if you're meditating or not, is significant. It's really significant. I mean, so, and then moving your body and exercising and then learning something new, continuing to evolve and having that mentality of, you know what? All I need to do is be better than who I was yesterday. And that's progress. So it's something that I harp on inside of my programs is setting up that morning routine and meditation, journaling, reading and learning and connection and being present are the four things. So mm -hmm. you nailed it. So it's great to hear that there's somebody out there who understands it and is, lives it and it works. Because if you didn't have that, I have a hard time believing we'd be sitting here talking today. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Who knows? Who knows if I never had the accident, if I'd be able to be doing what I'm doing today. Right. Who knows if I'll, I would have had that opportunity. But I want to say something important um, to your listeners about meditating. So meditating for me, now it didn't like... That sounds, someone who's never meditated, that sounds ridiculous. 45 to 60 minutes, that, that's insane. Why, why would anyone be able to do that? He must be making that up. But it started with just 10 minutes a day of just silence. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what it's, it kind of grew. Um, so you got to start somewhere, but just start. Just make that first step. Just, just start. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's with everything. It doesn't, yeah. It's with everything. And it's just starting, starting is sometimes the hardest thing mm -hmm. uh, that we do, you know, but man, it's been great talking to you. And there's so many, so many things that you can learn uh, just from your story. And, you know, not just in, not just the real estate, but, you know, just in life in general, as a human, just continuing to grow and overcoming adversity and moving forward. But um, I'll make sure that, you know, all the listeners who, who tune in and see this and hear this, they know where to find you at your website. They know where the, to find the webinar to learn more about how to buy and sell on terms and how to get your free book. And it's been awesome chatting with you. Thanks so much for your time and good selling, man. Stay safe, stay healthy during this time. I know I'm, I, it's April 9th, 2020. We're in the middle of the coronavirus and we're all homebound and things are changing in the world. So I wish nothing but the best for you. You too, Tony. Thank you. I, I really appreciate our time together. And even, even with the craziness with the coronavirus, same thing still applies. Just keep getting better every day. Awesome. Good way to end right there. Thanks so much. And thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Facing the Facts, the path to gaining control, accessing power, and ultimately creating a life of abundance. Are you an independent business owner? or real estate professional 
Who's ever felt like you're out on this island alone, going through this journey of life and business, and there's nobody else around you experiencing the same challenges and problems that you face every single day? Have you ever felt like you just needed somebody to talk to? Somebody who got it. Somebody who has experienced the same challenges that you face. Somebody who could bring some perspective into your world. Or maybe you're tired of trying to figure this game of life out alone, and you want to talk to somebody about your specific challenges and how to break free of the chaos. I want to introduce to you high-performance coaching for independent business owners and real estate professionals who want to unlock their life's purpose and passion, access the power across all areas of life, including their health and their wellness, mindset and belief, relationships and family, and gain control of their money so that you can create a life of prosperity and abundance and ultimately reach financial freedom. Head over to the show notes to learn more about high-performance coaching. Stay tuned for next week's episode, and thanks again for joining me.